Deuteronomy, please, in chapter 1. The fifth book of your Bible. And whenever you get to the chapter, just leave your Bible open there. We've been studying this last few weeks on devices that the devil uses. And we saw on the very first Lord's Day morning that one of the great devices that the enemy uses is the device of division. And then last Lord's Day morning we went on a little bit further again and we saw that there was another device that the devil uses among the people of God and that is the device of deception. We saw how there's false teachers in the church. We saw how they come and they propagate their false doctrine. And then we finished off last Sunday morning by talking about one of the greatest deceptions in the church today, and that is the deception of false professions. The Lord Jesus described them as tares among the wheat. And we saw the source of them. They were, they were sowed by the devil himself. We saw the similarity of the tares. They, they looked the same. They, they probably even in a sense felt the same if you were to touch them. But the difference was that there was no fruit. And we challenged all our hearts to examine ourselves in the light of the word of God. As the apostle Paul said to examine ourselves. And Peter said to make our calling an election sure. And then we saw finally that there's a sentence that's upon the tares. Because the Lord Jesus said that they were going to be bound. And then they were going to be burned. And I'm sure all of our hearts were touched when we discovered that there's going to be those that will go down into the chasms of a lost sinner's hell who thought that they were saved, but they were deceived. And they'll cry on that day, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And then the Lord Jesus will say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew. Now I want to go on this morning and bring this final deception to your heart in this little series. And there's so many that I could bring out and other men of the, on the platforms and other preachers could develop for, for weeks. But I want to bring a device this morning that is so prevalent among the people of God. It's most probably in this assembly this morning. It has affected every child of God that ever lived and ever walked the broad acres of this earth. Regardless of their spiritual maturity. Regardless of their scriptural knowledge or their sphere of service. And as you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll discover that there was men that, like the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, knew the effects of this device. You read through the prophets and you'll discover that there was mighty men like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jonah knew about this device that we're going to talk about this morning. Even the great battle war in the Apostle Paul knew all about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And most probably this morning there's somebody, indeed many, have felt the effects of it during the week. I, maybe even this morning, it's the very device that the devil has been using to silence you and to stop you and to hinder you from going on with God. The device I want to bring to your heart this morning is the device of discouragement. You see, it says in Daniel chapter 7 that one of the tactics of the devil in the last days is to wear out the saints of the Most High God. He comes to burn the people of God out and to weary them. And I'm sure every single one of us that are saved this morning we have all looked back on our Christian experience and we have felt something of the fiery darts of disappointment and discouragement. We have known what it is in our walk with God for that discouragement to grip our very soul and to hinder us, to seek to put us down. You know, I'm not talking about just having a bad day. We all have bad days. But you know, there's something in the experience of a child of God Whenever we're walking close to the Lord and in fellowship with Him, there's something of a day in our life of discouragement. Where you get to the place and you say, Lord, I can't go on anymore. Where you get to the stage in your spiritual existence and you say, Lord, I don't even feel like praying. 
I don't even feel like reading. I don't even feel like doing anything in the sphere of service to which you have called me. And the device of this discouragement has already started to work. It comes from a low Latin word. It means to take one's courage away. And you know, dear friend, this morning, if there's anything that you and I need in the church of Jesus Christ today, in 2021, as we go out into 2022, is we need courage. We need to be men and women that will stand for God. We need to be men and women that will nail our colors to the mast and put our lot in with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prayer of our heart ought to be, Lord, give me the strength to stand in this dark, deceptive, deluded, defiling day. Lord, I want to stand for God. We need courage to stand. We need courage to serve. We need courage to shine. Whenever you go into the workplace tomorrow, you need courage to stand out for God. Whenever you children, whenever you go to school, you need courage to stand. Whenever you go to university, you need courage to stand. And so the enemy knows if he can discourage us, if he can remove our courage, if he can take it away, he will paralyze us and leave us absolutely powerless. You know, this first chapter of Deuteronomy, if you cast your eye to it, and in verse 21, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They have saw the power of God, his strong right hand and his outstretched arm. They have seen how they de- he dealt with the enemy and drowned all of Pharaoh's hosts in the sea. They knew something of the manna from heaven, the water from the rock, the, the quail from the sky. They had seen the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And these people now have come to the river Jordan. They've come to a place that's called Kadesh, Barnea. They've come to a place of decision in their life. And maybe that's where you are this morning. A place of decision. A place where you have to make a decision in the days and weeks that lie ahead. I don't know what it may be. But you've come to the banks of the Jordan. If you cast your eye to the last few words of verse 19, it says, And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And then in verse 21, it says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set before thee the land before thee. Go up and possess it. As the Lord thy God of thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. And here was the people of God, the children of Israel, over a million and a half of them, all converging on the banks of the Jordan. You see, the Lord Jesus and God had brought them out of of Egypt, but he didn't want them to stay in the wilderness. And let me say this morning, dear child of God, whenever you get saved, that's like the Lord bringing you out of Egypt. But he wants to bring you into blessing. The word of God says that he has brought us out, that he may bring us in. And you and I have to go on with God and lay lay our lives on the altar and put all before him in the surrendered life and enter into the blessing of God, full surrender, the filling of the Holy Spirit, where there's another power that comes upon you that's not your own power, where it's not your own eloquence or ability, but the Spirit of God will take you into a new place with himself. I wonder, have you ever entered into the blessing? But here is the children of Israel. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. God had given them a land of their inheritance and they'd come to the Jordan and it was time to go over and possess the land. And they sent out 12 spies, if you cast your eye, down to verse 22. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up. And into the cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you, one of every tribe. And these twelve men went over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. They went the length and the breadth. They spied out the land. They came down through the valley of Eskol. And they brought a bunch of grapes that says that it took two men to carry them. And they knew that God's blessing was upon that land. 
But you know, dear friends, let me tell you this, that while they knew that they ought to go over, and while they knew it was the right thing to do to go over, there was ten of those spies brought an evil report of the land. Ten of those spies came back, and if you cast your eye down to verse 28, it says, Whether shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. And you know, so often that can happen. So often whenever you seek to go on with God, maybe in some sphere of service, there will be some brother or sister that will seek to discourage you. And I'm glad here for the men and the sisters in this assembly that encourage one another and have encouraged me and have encouraged the leadership of this assembly. But you can come across believers that will seek to discourage your heart. Verse 28 again. They have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is great and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. Now, what was it that discouraged the people? What was it that hindered over a million and a half people from going into blessing? What was it that hindered them from possessing what God had given to them? What was it? Well, I'll tell you what it was. The thing that hindered and discouraged the people was what the enemy was like. What the enemy was like. You cast your eye again to verse 28. The people are great. They got their eyes on the strength of the enemy. The people are tall. They got their eyes on the size of the enemy. Then he went on and talked about the cities that are walled up to heaven. They got their eyes in the strongholds. They got their eyes in the soldiers because they said the sons of Anakim are there. And they were giants in the land. And you know, dear friends, this morning how God has really convicted my heart. So many of us pull back from doing what God wants us to do because we get our eyes on the enemy instead of on the Lord. So many of us have had the experience of God telling us to do something, to go somewhere, to visit someone, to give a track to someone, and we pull back because we say the enemy is great. We see the strongholds in our land, strongholds of suicide, strongholds of self-harm and addiction and sodomy all around us. And so often we can get our eyes on the state of the nation But you know what the psalmist said? I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. And I'm glad this morning that God hasn't left us defenseless, but he's given us weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, listen to this, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Forty-five years later, whenever the children of Israel did go into the land, they came against Jericho. Now it says that the, the, the historians tell us that the walls of Jericho were wide enough that you could have driven a few buses on top of the walls, side by side. Mighty walls. But whenever the children of Israel came to Jericho, they didn't even have to lift a, lift a, a sword or even a bow. They just walked around once every day, and on the last day, seven times, and they blew the bugles, and they let us shout unto God. And you know what happened? The strongholds came down. Now I want to tell you, dear friends, today, no matter how far our nation has gone, God can still bring down strongholds. God can still set the captive free. God can still turn the situation around. They got their eyes on the, on the soldiers, the sons of the Anakins, who were giants in the land. I wonder, do you face a giant? I wonder what's your giant? You see, there's people in this assembly this morning and you will go home after this meeting and there'll be a giant waiting on you at home and he's called the giant of loneliness. And you know what it is to miss that that wife or that husband that used to be there, but they're no longer there. And the giant of loneliness, he'll be there. He's a giant. And then there's some people here this morning and you face a giant of fear. And worry. Worry about the future. Whenever you lie in your bed at night, the giant comes, the son of Almacan. But I want to tell you, dear friends, whenever David went down into the valley of Eli, just a little lad, he had five stones in a shepherd bag. He had only a sling in his hand. But I want to tell you, he had God at his side. And he brought the giant down. And giants can be taken. 
Now, if you cast your eye to verse 29, the first thing that came into these people's hearts, whenever they heard about the enemy, the strongholds and the, the soldiers and their strength, they were gripped by fear. And that's one of the first results of discouragement is fear. In verse 29, Moses said, Then said I unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. Fearfulness. They were people that were gripped by fearfulness. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. Just let God speak to your heart. And there's some situation that's coming just like the Jordan. And you're afraid to go over. You're afraid to commit. You're afraid to do what God wants you to do. Because you're afraid. Well, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. But not only were they marked by fearfulness. If you cast your eye to verse 32. They were marked by faithlessness. In verse 32 it says, Ye did not believe the Lord your God. And because of their fearfulness and their faithlessness, these people never entered into the blessing that God had for them. They missed out. There was a whole generation of them died in the wilderness for 40 years. Death after death. Burial after burial. Funeral after funeral. Because of fearfulness and because of faithlessness. But you know, while there was many didn't believe God, and while there was many that were afraid of the enemy, there was two men. Two men that took their stand for God. Two men that stood out, and while others were fearless and faithless, these two men were faithful. One of them is Caleb, and the other is Joshua. Now listen to this. Whenever others saw the difficulties... These two men saw the victories. Whenever the rest of the people saw the problems, these two young men saw the promises of God. Whenever the multitude of Israel saw the giants in the land, these two young men saw God. They got their eyes upon God. Whenever others saw who was against them, these two men knew who was for them. Two men that knew their God. Daniel said, they that know their God shall be strong. That word is the word courageous. It's the word to be full of courage. They that know their God shall be strong. And listen to this, and do exploits. I wonder, do we know our God? I wonder, do we know Him? Oh, I know we could talk about Him. I know we could sing about Him. I know if someone got us to write a little essay about God, we could do it. We all could jot down a few things about him. But I wonder, do we know him? You see, the apostle Paul that raised the dead, that seen miracles after miracles with his apostolic power, seen the risen Savior, his prayer and desire was this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And whenever you and I as a people of God get to know him, Alone in the secret place to actually get to know the personality of God. We will be men and women that will do exploits. Whenever Paul was praying for the believers at Colossae, he said, I pray every day that ye increase in the knowledge of God. How much of God do you know? Or do I know? Do we really know him? Do we know him as we know our wives or our husbands or our children? Or is he some distant phantom in the air that we we talk about or some rhetoric that we use? But do we know him? Oh, that I may know him, just him, and the power of his resurrection. I want to tell you, dear friends, today, we have never lived in a day in the church where there's been as much fear. In this day and generation in which we are today, the people of God are just like those at the banks of the Jordan, at Kadesh Barnea, faithless and fearful. Fearful of COVID. Fearful of vaccines. Fearful of variants. Fearful of all the propaganda of the enemy. Fearful of the devil. Fearful of what the, the agenda of the devil is and of our government is. A fearful of everything around us. A man came to me not that long ago and he said, did you hear about 5G? And he says, they're going to fry us to death. Let me tell you, dear friends, the enemy can't even touch a hair on your body. Whenever God is for you, who can be against us? 
Who can be against it? The living God is not worried about 5G. And let me tell you this, God had 5G before the internet was ever made. You know what the 5Gs of God are? The 5Gs are, of God are Gethsemane, Golgotha, Golbatha, glory in the great, great white throne. God's always got the preeminence. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, these people were gripped by fear, but there was two men that believed God. I was thinking of the hymn during the week, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable. God, any mountains you can't tunnel through. God specializes in that which is impossible. He can do what no other power can do. But Caleb and Joshua not only sang it, they believed it, and they acted upon it. Two men. I tell you, dear friends, if you were just standing up against the inhabitants of Dungannon, it would be some sight, maybe 10,000 people. But if you took all the population of Northern Ireland and even more, you'd have to go more. A million and a half people up against two men. But two men in the minority with God was the majority. Two men. And they stepped out for God. You see, dear friends, this morning there was one thing that marked these two men out. And that was that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been filled with the Holy Ghost? Oh, I know you're saved. Oh, I know that you, you, you've been forgiven of your sin, but have you ever come to that place in your life where you lay your all on the altar before God, all of your ambitions, all of your desires, lay your wife and your family in the altar and your home in the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, do it. It says of Joshua that he was a man in whom the Spirit was. And it says of Caleb that he was a man that had another spirit. He had another spirit. You see, there was a million and a half of them had the spirit of fear. But Caleb, this man, he had the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. You know, Caleb, it says of him six times that he wholly followed the Lord. Six times. And in fact, one time the Lord had to open, the, open heaven itself. And he said to Moses, he said to Moses, you see, Caleb... He has wholly followed me. What a compliment. My, it's one thing for someone else to say it. But whenever God could say it, I wonder could he say it about you. You see, if you were walking through the camp of Israel in Kadesh Barney and you bumped into Caleb, you say, Caleb, what are you doing today? You know what he'd say? I'm just following. Following. Where he will lead me, I will go. For I have learned to trust him so. He would have sang that chorus if he had knew it. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus everywhere, anywhere. I will follow him. Oh, dear friends, do you not feel small? These men didn't even have a Bible. These men didn't even have, all they had was the moral law and the Ten Commandments. But they knew their God. You see, Caleb means dog. And if you have a good dog, it will follow you know, if you're saved this morning, you're going to have to follow the Lord into the waters of baptism. Because whenever the Lord Jesus came to the Jordan, it says that he went down. And John the Baptist baptized him in the river Jordan. And if you're saved this morning and you want to go into blessing, let me tell you, you'll have to go down. You just have to follow him into the water. And we're going to have a baptismal service here in January. And we'll give you the opportunity to just do what Caleb did, follow the Lord. To follow the Lord. You know, whenever you're following the Lord, whenever you're following the steps of the Savior, you'll follow him into the prayer meeting. Maybe on a Monday night or a Wednesday night or a Friday night, you'll say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go? Oh, I say, just follow me. Take my hand and come on into the prayer meeting. You see, Caleb was that man that, that believed God. He was from the tribe of Judah. And Judah was the lion tribe. It was the royal tribe, the tribe of praise. But whenever Jacob was blessing the tribe of Jacob or tribe of Judah, this is what he said. He said that Judah shall have his hand upon the neck of the enemy. Some of you men, whenever you're out fighting, and you used to be out fighting in the streets, let me tell you, whenever a man had his hand around your neck, you weren't in a good position. And Jacob said of Judah that he'll always have his hand upon the neck of the enemy. In other words, he'll be able to defeat the enemy. I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning. On this side of the cross, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Now thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. Victory. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over the devil. 
Victory over the world. Victory. You see, that's where this man Caleb was living. That's why he got into the promised land. He not only talked about it and sang about it, he acted upon it. Because Caleb could say, it says that he stilled the people and he said unto them, let us go over at once for we are well able to possess the land. We're well able. And then Joshua. Joshua, that man, his name really means Jehovah delivers. Jehovah saves. And Joshua, this young man, took his stand and he, he believed that God still delivers. Do you believe God still delivers? Say amen if you believe that. Do you believe God can deliver your boy? Do you believe God could deliver your husband or your wife or your grandchildren? Do you believe that? Say amen if you believe it. Do you believe that God could deliver Ireland? I believe it. You see, Joshua believed it. And Caleb believed it. And no matter about the strongholds or the size of the enemy or the giants in the land, they said, let us go over at once for we are well able. We're well able to possess the land. You see, there was one thing about these men as they said in their heart, the devil has no right to what God has promised us. You know the devil has no right to your children. The devil has no right to your family. The devil has no right to these 32 counties of Ireland. And whenever we get a spirit like Caleb and Joshua and say the enemy has no right to what God has given us, I'll tell you, dear friends, what will happen. We'll possess the land. We'll possess the land. And while the others were fearful and faithless, these two men were faithful. They took courage. Now, not only was there the children of Israel at the Jordan, I don't want you to turn to it this morning, but I want you to use your mind and imagination. I want you to come with me now away out into the wilderness. I want you to go a hundred miles away out from civilization. A barren place, wilderness, death all around. No life. And I want you to see a tree in the distance and you walk over to this bit of a tree and you see one man, his name is Elijah. Under the juniper tree. I wonder is that where you are this morning. You see Elijah was the man that stood before the Lord. He could say I stand before the Lord God of heaven. He had the authority of God upon his life. He could turn the rain off for three and a half years. He saw the dead raised. He saw the miraculous provision of food for those three and a half years through the ravens and through the widow of Zarephath. He saw the fire fall in Carmel. He saw the rain gathering whenever he got down and he prayed and he saw a cloud like the size of a man's hand. Victory after victory. But you know, whenever he came down from Carmel, Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow you'll be dead. And Elijah, that mighty man of God, it says that he went for his life. He ran. He was on the run. And he ran a hundred miles away out into the wilderness of Bathsheba, out into the wilderness past, past Bathsheba. Away out on his own. Now, it wasn't what the enemy was like that discouraged him. Now, I want you to get this. He knew well what the enemy was like. He faced the enemy face to face in Carmel, the 450 false prophets. In fact, whenever he was there, he mocked them and laughed at them. He wasn't worried about what the enemy was like. But listen to this, because this applies to some of you here this morning. What got Elijah and what discouraged him was what the enemy said. Now make a note of that. What the enemy said, what's he been saying to you? You see, there was two things that the enemy planted in the, the mind of Elijah. Whenever he was walking, every step that he took out into the wilderness, there was two thoughts that came into his mind, and I'll tell you what they were. And they're maybe been penetrating your mind. The first thing is this, you're going to die. You're going to die. Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. You're going to die. You ever lie in bed at night, some of you older people, and the devil comes to you and says, you're going to die. You're going to die. You see that, uh, that illness that you have? I'm going to take you. You see that cancer that you had a few years ago? It's going to come back. You see that, that, that other ailment that no one else knows anything about? But I know about it. He said, I'm going to kill you. And the fear began, begins to rise in her heart. What's the family going to do whenever I'm not here? How are they going to pay, how are they going to pay the bills? Oh, what's my children going to do? And you see the devil came and the enemy planted in the mind of Elijah, you'll die. And he was one of the two men that never died. Elijah never died. 
My Elijah went up in the world and under heaven. And Jezebel was dead. Even just a few, few months later, she was dead, but he never died. You see, the devil's a liar. Everything that he plants in our minds is a lie. And whatever lies he's been telling you, dear friend, let me tell you this this morning. Don't listen to the enemy. But not only was there the, the, the thought about his, his life ending. Listen to this. The other thought that came into the mind of Elijah was not about his life, but about his legacy. Because whenever Elijah got under the juniper tree and he, he slid down the tree, he said, Lord, it is enough. It's enough, Lord. I can't take it anymore. Lord, it's enough. And then he said this, I'm no better than my, my father's. Lord, I'm no better than what the, the generations before. Lord, I'm no better than what they were. Let me tell you, dear friends, this morning, in the church in Northern Ireland today, there's a spirit of competitivism. Now, what I mean by that is every one of us want to have a better family than someone else's family. We want to have a, want to have a better car than everyone else. A man said to me recently, he says, oh, he says, you'd have some carry on now. You're taking a few meetings in the boat. Alan Barkley and Bertie Johnson and Gilbert Edgerton, you'll never be able to keep up with them men. Let me tell you, dear friends, this morning, God just wants us to be ourselves. God wants you to be what he wants you to be. Just you. Elijah says, I knew better, Lord. God didn't want them to be better. God just wanted him to be what he wanted him to be. And don't you worry about other people's families. If you think they're all right and your family's a mess, don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to them. And that's got into the heart of Elijah. I tell you, he's one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. He was the man that came whenever the Lord Jesus was on the top of Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there with Moses. And his legacy will live on, most probably. He's one of the two witnesses in Revelation. Whenever he comes back again, the man that was under the juniper tree, God had more for him to do. Whoever you are this morning and you're ready to give in and throw in the towel, maybe you can't take the situation in the family anymore and you say, Lord, I can't go on. Let me tell you this, friends. God has more to do. God has more to do. And this man, Elijah, a hundred miles away out into the wilderness, he was weary. He was lonely. But he was marked by worry. Worry. And he fell down under the juniper tree exhausted. Worrying what was going to happen next, just like maybe you are. And he slumped down under the juniper tree and fell asleep. And you know what happened? It says the angel of the Lord came. The pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. The one that we will be remembering shortly. The, one, the Son of God came. The pre-incarnate Son of God came. And it says that he beat him. He didn't beat him. It says that he, he said, Elijah, you know, you've made a fool of yourself. God didn't say that. It says that the angel of the Lord touched him. Touched him. I love one of the old renderings of that. It says that the, the angel of the Lord put his hand upon him and he put his arm around him. I'm sure whenever Elijah was there, he could remember the words of Deuteronomy underneath and around about are the everlasting arms. Down under the juniper tree, the Lord came. And wherever, whatever tree you're under this morning, let me tell you, the Lord will come and he'll not beat you. But he'll touch you. Do you need a touch? Do you need a touch? Because I'll tell you, the angel of the Lord not only touched him once, but it says he came and touched him again, the second touch. And then he fed him. You remember how there was food there? And this is, this is a question I asked my heart during the week. Why did God feed him twice? Why Elijah, Elijah, whenever he fed one, surely that would have been enough. I'll tell you one of the reasons why I believe that Elijah was fed twice under the juniper tree. Because whenever Elijah was away out at the brook Cherith, hiding for those months, you'll remember twice in the day, once in the morning and once at night, it says that the ravens came and fed him with bread and meat. And I think God was telling Elijah under the juniper tree, he says, Elijah, let me tell you, your circumstances may have changed, but I haven't changed. Oh, tell me now, dear friend, this morning, maybe your circumstances have changed. Maybe this time last week, you're up on the mountain. Hallelujah and praising the Lord, all was going well. But now you're down in the valley. But let me tell you this, while your circumstances may change, all may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
You know it says of Elijah in 1 Kings 17 that he was Elijah the Tishbite from the, from the land of Gilead. And the land of Gilead belonged to the Gadites. And the Gadites were, were men, it says that they had faces like a lion. But whenever Jacob came to bless the tribe of Gad, listen to this. He said that troops shall overcome him. But he shall overcome at the last. There's a text for somebody here this morning. A troop may have overtaken you, but let me tell you this. He shall overcome at the last. And the Gadites were the tribe of the overcomers. I tell you, dear friends, in Revelation chapter 12, whenever the accuser of the brethren came, you know what it says? It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and loved not their lives unto the death. They were overcomers. I wonder are we overcomers? What about the Lord Jesus? He was an overcomer. He could say, I have overcome the world. And in Revelation chapter 17, whenever the beast and the, the false prophet come against the Lord, you know what it says? The lamb shall overcome. The lamb. And Vance Havner said that one of the greatest discoveries that he made as a young boy, that in the first two chapters of the Bible, the devil's not mentioned there, and he's not mentioned in the last two chapters either. Because we, as the people of God, can be overcomers. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Elijah was that man that stepped out. He stepped out from under the juniper tree. You know, dear friend, this morning you've been under the juniper tree long enough. You've been in your little pity party long enough. And you've been saying, oh, Lord, I'm no better than others. I'm no better. I can't do what he can do. I can't preach the way they can. I can't do tracks the way they can. And you're under the juniper tree. It says, that it says of, uh, of the angel, said to Elijah, arise, get up. It's time to get up. And I think as you could see Elijah coming up out of the wilderness, you would have been able to use the words of the song of Solomon. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this that cometh up out of the wilderness? Leaning upon his beloved. I tell you, dear friends, whatever juniper tree and whatever wilderness you're in, let me tell you this, you can come up out of it. And you can come up out of it leaning upon your beloved, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Are you discouraged this morning? But there was not only the children of Israel that were discouraged because of what the enemy was like. And there was not only Elijah who was discouraged because of what the enemy had said. I want you to come with me as we close to the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. Chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. Because we're going to see a man as we close who knew all about discouragement. And he's a great man of God, David. And if you cast your eye to chapter 30 of verse of 1 Samuel and cast your eye down to verse 1 and it says and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag that was one of the strongholds of David in the land of the Philistines and whenever they came to Ziglag on the third day the Amalekites had made an invasion upon the south of Ziglag and had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive that they were that were within and slew not any either great or small but carried them away and went on their way and David and his mighty host David and his mighty men they were away out they were going to help the Philistines and they came back and just as they were coming back to Ziglag they could see the smoke smoke and I tell you dear friends our hearts started to beat that's where their families was. That's where their children was. That's where all of their possessions were in Ziglag. But while they were away, the enemy came. You see, the Amalekites always came from behind. Always come from behind. And whenever David was away, the, the Amalekites came and they took their wives and their children and all of their possessions. You cast your eye to verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken. They were taken captive. I tell you, it was a day of defeat. 
Because in verse 4 it says, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. I wonder is there a mother here this morning and you know exactly what that's like. Where you get to a place in your life where you weep over your boys and you can say, Lord, I can weep no more. Or you weep over some situation and you, you get to the stage where the ducks in your eyes are run dry. Well, that's where these mighty men got to. Because they were all mighty men of valor. But it was a day of defeat. Twice it tells us that the, their families were taken. The enemy had taken them. And you know, dear friends, there's some of us this morning, we could look at our lives and look at our families and that's what we'd have to say and be honest. We'd have to say the enemy has taken them. Taken them. But it not only was a day of defeat. If you cast your eye down to verse 6, to the latter part or into the middle, it says, For the people spake of stoning David, because the soul of all the people was grieved. It not only was a day of defeat, it was a day of disloyalty. The people that used to stand with him are now going to turn upon him. I can tell you, dear friends, that happens to us at times. People that used to stand shoulder to shoulder. People that say, I'll back you to the death. They can turn on us. And their words can be smoother than butter, but in their hand can be a sword. And David was in a day of defeat, and it was a day of disloyalty. His friends had turned against him, but it also was this. It was a day of discouragement. You cast your eye to the start of verse 6. It says, and David was greatly distressed. That word distressed is the word to be in a tight corner, to be put into a corner, to be pushed into a corner that you can't get out. Like those in Psalm 107, it says that they were at their wit's end. Now, just, just listen. Are you at your wit's end? Is that where you are? Down in the valley, down into the corner, and it's a day of defeat. The enemy has taken what's belonged to you. Your friends that used to stand with you don't stand with you anymore and it's a day of disloyalty. And you get down and you say, Lord, I'm greatly distressed. I'm in the corner. And his mind started to flood with doubts and fears. Do you cast your eye down to the end of verse 6? It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I want you to see among the rubble and among the debris of, of Ziglag and among all the accusations that the enemy's putting into the mind of David, I want you to see maybe sitting on a wee, a wee pile of rubble and the smoke's still going up, I want you to see a man sitting. It's the worst day of his life. And let me tell you, friends, we have never had a day like this. Never. And David, he's sitting down now and he's discouraged. He's greatly distressed. He's broken. He's got to the place where he can weep no more. His wives are gone. The ones that he loved, his family's gone. The enemy is taken. And he gets down under, the, sits on the rubble and he, he's discouraged. And I'm sure he would have said, like he went on to say later in life, Oh, oh, that I had wings like a dove. Like I might fly away and be at rest, that I would hasten my escape from the windy tempest of the storm. Maybe those are the words you would use. But it says while David was sitting, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I can see David away out in the rubble. And it's not looking good. It's the worst day of his life. It can get no worse. But you know his mind gets off what the enemy has done. That's why, that's why David was discouraged. Not because of what the enemy had said. Not because of what the enemy was like. But he was discouraged because of what the enemy has done. You know, dear friends, we all could say that. We could look at our families and we could look at our nation and we could say, look at what the enemy has done. But David began to encourage himself in the Lord. And I haven't got time this morning, but I'll give you a few quick sharp shots of what David thought about. He started to think about the greatness of God. He quoted in Psalm 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And as he began to sit among the ruins and the rubble, his heart started to warm. You see, four times in the Bible it says God is greater. He's greater than cancer. He's greater than COVID. He's greater than the devil. And God, David began to meditate on the greatness of God, 
And whatever your trial or storm is this morning, big though it may be in your eyes, I want to tell you God's bigger than it all. God's greater. But he not only thought about the greatness of God, he thought about the goodness of God. I'm sure whenever he was sitting on the rubble, I'm sure he began to quote the psalm that he penned whenever he was out on the hillside of Judea as a young shepherd boy. He began to mutter under his breath with the tears still coming out of his eyes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup that runneth over. And then he got to this, he said, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I think whenever he got to that word, surely, I think he stood. I think he stood and he put on his sword and he, he looked at all of the men that were defeated and he said, men, listen to this. Surely, goodness, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But he not only thought about the greatness of the Lord and the goodness, he thought about the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. He said in Psalm 18 that the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my strength, my deliverer, my high tower, and friend, he's still the very same today. But I'll tell you one of the last thoughts I think went through David's mind. I'm only presuming. But I think he started to think about the unchangeableness of God. He started to think about the one that changes not, the one that delivered him in the past day from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He said he can still deliver today. The one who delivered him way down against the, the Goliath in the valley of Eli. I think he began to say, Lord, you're still the same today. You're still on the throne, Lord. And Lord, while the tempest is rising and the gale is blowing, Lord, you're still the same. He said in Psalm 102, Thou art the same, thy years change not. The Lord said to Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. And he began to encourage himself in the Lord. You say to me, is that the end of the story? Not at all. Because the next verse, I haven't got time to take you through it, but it says that David inquired of the Lord. He got the priest. And he began to say, now Lord, what do you want me to do? And this is what the Lord said. He said, pursue, for you shall recover all. Now there's some of you here this morning and you're looking at your family and the enemy has come. He's taken them. There's no, there's no point in denying it. Taking that boy, taking that girl, taking them. But the word that came to David was this. He said, pursue, for thou shalt recover all. And you go through this chapter whenever you go home, and it says that David pursued, and he recovered all. He got back what the enemy had taken. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, God still recovers stolen property. He still does it. And he not only recovered what, he, what the enemy had stole, but it tells us that he got the spoil. He got the spoil. He got what belonged to the devil. And David got more than what he lost. And he's the one that restores the years of Lucas of Eden. Now here's a wee thought for you. There's something of the providence of God in it all. Because you see, if David had went to the battle that he intended to go to, he would have been up on the Mount of Gilboa. And it was on Mount Gilboa that day whenever Saul was slain and Jonathan, his two other brothers. And if David had been there, he most probably would have died as well. But David, David was diverted because of this storm. God allowed the enemy to do what he had done so that David would be a blessing. Now let me tell you this, whatever storm you're in, God has allowed it, friends. God has allowed it. Because let me tell you this, he could have saved you from something far worse. If David had been there that day, he'd have been dead. But Lord allowed the enemy to come just to divert David. And it was David that took the throne after Saul died. 
It was the poet that said, not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceased to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are just as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Are you discouraged this morning? Discouraged because of what the enemy's like. And you're not going to cross over the Jordan. And you have a decision to make, but you'll not do it because you're afraid of, the, you're afraid of what the enemy's going to do. Joshua and Caleb said, let us go over at once and possess the land for we're well able to take it. Maybe you're here and you're discouraged because of what the enemy has been saying to you and flooding your mind. And you're like Elijah under the juniper tree and you said, Lord, it's over. My ministry's over. My life's over. It's no, no good, Lord. Take me home. And the Lord told Elijah to get up, go and anoint the king, call a successor and do another three miracles. There's more for you to do. And then maybe you're here this morning like David. You're discouraged because of what the enemy has done. He's done a lot. But let me tell you this, friends. God can do more. God can do more. And while others may see the difficulties, may we be men and women that will get our eyes on the victories. And while others see the problems, let us be men and women that will see the promises. And while others will see who's against us, let us be men and women that will see who is for us. And let us go over. Let us go over the Jordan. Have you a giant to face? Whenever you go home. Have you a Jordan to cross? Have you got an enemy to pursue? Have you got a work to do? Well, you know what it says of the Lord Jesus. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged. And he's a great encourager. And I'll close by telling you the words of David to Solomon as David was lying dying. This is what he said, the words of a dying man. And this is for your heart this morning. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, he will be with you. Do it. Whatever God's telling you to do, do it. May the Lord bless his word to your heart.